Well, if you would please turn in your Bible to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 25. We'll just look at at one verse, Proverbs chapter 25. We'll use this verse uh, to key uh, from uh, the, the topic, and we will jump into the New Testament just briefly as well. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28, says this, Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being together as a church family. It is a joy that we many times take for granted to be able to meet together in, a, in such a public fashion and enjoy our music together, singing together, enjoy our prayers and our Sunday school time together and then come together around the Word of God. It's a joy. We thank you. We pray that you would bless our time. May we apply what we learn to our lives that you would may be glorified and honored. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is really just an introductory message to hopefully a series, at least one or two more sermons on disciplining our children, disciplining our children. Now, that's kind of an in-depth element of our life, and it's going to take some time to go through. And it's my opinion that we will never come to be able to properly discipline our children if we don't know biblical discipline and discipline being able to discipline ourselves having biblical discipline ourselves we cannot do that and so i I want to basically introduce that subject today as we move through this and get a, a firmer grasp on what it is what biblical discipline is now in this passage in this one little verse here is a a typical proverb and a proverbs a a pithy little statement of wisdom and there's usually one point one main point we don't want to read too much into it but there's one main point in this little statement and it's a broad and general principle that's generally true it's a truism if you will and this particular proverb is a comparison the the author is comparing a city with a person. Now, how do you do that? What's the similarities here? And he's, there's a, a meaning here that he's getting at, and he's doing this comparison, and we'll begin to see that, what the meaning is in, in just a bit. And as we compare these two, he compares a city with a person. Now, this city is not an ordinary city. This city has been broken into, and the walls are already down. No walls. Uh, the enemy has probably already infiltrated. It would be, we would compare it to a city without policemen uh, that we would have today. The people are in danger. There's, the, the means of safety have been discarded. There's no, the people are vulnerable. They're defenseless. They're, it'd be easy to plunder that city, to capture that city, to take children and enslave their children. Because the walls are down. There's danger. That's what you were to understand. And he compares that then with a person, a man that does not control his own spirit. His own inside, his own internal person, the inner man. Not just his external behavior, but his internal 
behavior as well. His anger that might burst out every once in a while. His desires, his words, his appetites, his own thinking, even his own emotions. He doesn't control those things. And it's like comparing then a city that doesn't have any walls. Vulnerable. There's danger here. There should be a red flag because of this. And Solomon has one main point. Solomon's point is that the person that doesn't restrain himself is in danger, right? What is he getting at? We understand that he is pushing us and he is pointing out the need for self-discipline. We have to discipline ourselves. If we do not discipline ourselves, we are in danger. There's a red flag. Now, we as a, as a society don't like self-discipline. We just don't. I don't know of any society that really does, but sometimes there's those great generations that rise up that seems to like discipline. This generation, including my generation, we like to take shortcuts. We like the easy path. Whether it's sports or learning to drive or play the piano or prepare a sermon, we have to have discipline. And you have to build that into your life. And again, we don't seem to, to like discipline in these days. And I think there are several reasons for that. One, I think we think sometimes it's just too hard. Ah, discipline is just too hard. Too much sacrifice, too much we have to give up, too much we have to structure our lives. There's pain involved. Sometimes we, we see it as just, well, I don't like giving up my freedoms. I like my freedoms. When I was young, when I was a boy, we were growing up, I think all of us boys had to take piano lessons to a certain degree. Mine seemed to, to last longer. I took seven years of piano. And I cannot play a note of piano. Now, and much of my time in piano practice, my mind was, all of my friends are out there having fun and I'm missing out, right? I mean, that's the way we think. And that's the way we think about discipline. They're going to have fun and I'm going to be stuck in here disciplining myself. Self-discipline. That's why we don't want to do it. Sometimes we're just hooked on entertainment. We just like amusing ourselves and we stick with that. But I think as Christians, a lot of times we don't like discipline or self-discipline. We kind of stay away from that topic because we see it too close to legalism. Too, too close to this legalistic tendency that we may have. And so we just stay away from self-discipline. And, and we, we have this idea that if we can do it, we should do it. So we just don't discipline ourselves because, well, well I could do this. Or I should do this. And I don't know. We just have these legalistic tendencies. But I think the number one reason that we don't like discipline is because we love ourselves, basically. We are self-centered, self-focused. We like immediate gratification we desire to be first. We desire to put those desires first. Not submitting to anyone else. Not submitting to some rules or structure or anything like that. And the thing is, the danger, Solomon tells us that we are in danger. When you do that, you're in danger. There's some danger there. You're not disciplining yourself. And credit cards, of course, have made that evident. We like immediate gratification, grab the credit card, buy it now, and we just put it on the credit card. Danger. Red flags. But that's our society. That's our society. 
And Solomon is here in this passage yelling out, danger, 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 warning sign. Warning sign. There's a legitimate real danger here. Now Paul does, has a similar uh, message in uh, 1 Timothy that we'll, we'll look at in a little bit. But Paul has the same principle when he commands Timothy, Timothy, discipline yourself for the sake of godliness. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Or, he doesn't say this, but the implication is, or you will be, you will be in danger of ungodliness. That's the, that's the option. And so the principle is very clear here. And that something that I want us to notice, that, uh, that God's children, we as believers, are to exercise ourselves in self-discipline for the sake of godliness. We are to discipline ourselves for the sake of godliness. That's the goal of all discipline. Whether you're disciplining yourself, whether you're disciplining your children, the goal is godliness. We are to discipline ourselves according to godliness. Now, what is biblical discipline? What does it mean to discipline oneself for godliness? Now, that's a big topic, right? I mean, we can go through a whole whole of Scripture teaches us uh, that and And there's only so much time. So there's just a few principles that I want to lay in place, four principles that I want to lay down for us that will help shape our understanding and kind of get us started on this journey of learning about self-discipline or just discipline in general. And I want to start with this verse. This is a good place to start. There's a couple of principles in this verse before we jump into the New Testament. First principle. The first principle is this. Without discipline, the believer is easy prey for his enemy. Without discipline, or we could say self-discipline, without self-discipline, the believer is easy prey for his enemy. Now, this is is the comparison of the city. A city has natural enemies. The natural enemies of a city is other cities. Back in this day, it would be other cities. People would be competing for resources and territory for maybe water rights or or garden space, we might say, or uh, grazing rights. They have to graze their animals. And and so there would be competing competition with cities. And so there's a natural enemy there, a warring faction, you might say, with another city. And without walls to protect them, those enemies are going to get in, right? That's the picture. The enemies are going to come in. They're going to take advantage of having no walls and having no protection. They're going to plunder the city. They're going to take the goods of that city, capture that city for themselves. Right? You get that. Man has natural enemies as well. I, don't, I know we don't think like that. We live in a safe society, but there are natural enemies out there. Three natural enemies that we see in Scripture. First is Satan himself. Satan is your enemy. He is not your friend. He is the father of lies and he will insert lies as much as he can. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I don't think Satan is what this proverb has in mind. It's not so much protection against Satan, these walls. Another enemy that we have is the world, folks. And again... I don't think we see the world as an enemy, but the world is our enemy. We are not to love the world or anything in the world, uh, John says. 
that the world is our enemy. It demands conformity. Um, But again, there's no indication that this proverb is talking about the world. The third enemy that man has is what? Is our own flesh, our own self. Now that's the enemy that he is referring to here. Those walls without control, without some self-discipline. The enemy, the, the old self, that sinful nature, those hungers, those desires are going to come in and rule. He's going to take over. And that's good theology. Why? Because we know the enemy's within, right? We know that sinful flesh, that sinful tendency. And we as God's people need self-discipline, self-restraint to protect us from our own sinful self, our own sinful flesh. And then we are called then to die to self, to mortify the flesh. Now, the context seems to bear this out. That's the enemy that is being talked about here. Is a man that's out of control, doesn't have the barriers of, a, of the walls to protect himself from himself, is, is in danger in danger. I think you get the point there. Now, let's just apply this and think through this a little bit. We have these enemies. We have Satan and the world and the flesh. Let's just think about them. If those are our enemies, obviously, then we need to protect ourselves from them. Now, there is discipline where we discipline ourselves to make sure we don't fall into the trap of Satan. We make sure that we don't listen to the lies of Satan. We adhere to God's Word, or we study and learn God's Word so that we don't get tripped up. And a good example is this. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says this. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger, right? Or what? Or it gives the devil an opportunity. That's the enemy. That's the enemy. He wants to come in. He wants to come in and destroy that relationship. That anger is going to be his ticket in. So we're to discipline ourselves. Even for Satan, we're to discipline ourselves according to the world as well. Like I said in 1 John chapter 2, we are to not love the world or anything in the world. But what we see today many times as Christians, they like to flirt with the world. They just like to get themselves out there and rub shoulders and be so much like the world. Now, we are to be in the world. Obviously, we can't do that. We can't isolate ourselves from the world. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. So we cannot let the world influence us. We do not love the world. But the real application of this is protecting ourselves against the flesh, fleshly appetites. Without that self-discipline, without that self-control, controlling our appetites, controlling our anger, and those standards set for us in Scripture, then we are a danger to our own self. We are an easy target for Satan. We just are. We're a soft target. That, that may be what the military would call it. I have a, a nephew that is a, a army ranger. And he was telling us about some things. But uh, he, he, was, he used the phrase, a soft target. They were being used to go in and, and capture this little place, this little area, but it was a soft target. There was no, uh, no defenses there, right? We understand that. It's a soft target. Listen, we can be a soft target for Satan if we do not use our self-discipline. Number two, 
freedom and safety come from structure of self-discipline. Okay? Freedom and safety come from the structure of self-discipline. Now, we understand that the city here that, that uh, this Proverbs is talking about, the, the walls have already come down. There's no walls there. And the implication is, if there were, had been walls there, if there were those control, that self-control, if the walls were there, were in place, then there would be safety inside that city. There'd be freedom within those walls if the walls were in place. And similarly, if we had the walls in place of our own self-discipline, of, of disciplining our reaction to things based upon godliness rather than our own selfishness, our own fleshliness, we had those borders in place, then we have a lot of freedom within those borders. Do you, you get that? Because it's a, sometimes I think it's just a matter of perspective. This is the positive way of saying what was said before. You're in danger of the enemy. This way, you have all of the protection within the walls. And we've got to keep that in, in mind. When we're disciplining ourselves, we're disciplining our children, we're looking at this as a good thing, and there is protection inside the walls. There's life and joy and freedom inside the city walls. And it's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of perspective most of the time from our vantage point. Restraints, that is the wall of the city, are not necessarily restrictions. There's a fine line between the two. But those walls are a healthy protection and barrier for our freedom. Now, you need to get that because that's really the crux of the matter in this proverb. When we see our restraints as restrictions, we are in danger here. Now, let me try to illustrate that. If I'm out on the little boy, little girl out on the playground of the school and there's a fence there and right after the fence you have a busy highway, that fence is there for a good reason. And if I was a little girl, little boy, and I'm standing looking at that highway, I'm thinking, man, I wish I could go out and play in that highway. But this old fence is, is keeping me from my freedoms. And the little boy, the little girl, all he has to do is turn around and see the open playground. And he has all this room to play. Why would he ever go out into the, the busy highway and play? That's the borders. That's the walls. Those are good things. And it's a matter of perspective. And sometimes I think we see walls. We see self-discipline and the discipline of our own life as bad things when they are good things. That's a good thing. Now, if you have a train... Those tracks are good things, right? But if that train says, oh, well, I don't want these tracks. I want to be off the tracks. He jumps the tracks. And what is he? He's no good at all. No good at all. He has to stay on those tracks. And he has all the freedom in the world. I mean, he can go. If we are driving a car, there's a lot of freedom in driving a car. But before we drive a car, we have to discipline ourselves to learn how to drive that car, Right? Once we learn, once we discipline ourselves, we get in there and we practice before we get on the highway, then we, can, then we can have the freedom of driving that car. I think you get the point. Let me illustrate one more time because football season is approaching. And I like football season. 
If I, well, I have a desire. I'd love to play professional football, okay? So I say, I'm going to play professional football. I'm going to, I don't care what they say. So I get my shoulder pads, I get my helmet on, and I go down on the field. And I say, okay, guys, and I line up with those guys. Let's, let's go at it. I would get killed, right? Because I don't have the training. I don't have the discipline that those guys have. Didn't play in high school. Didn't play in college. I don't have that training. These guys have been doing it for years and years and years. That training, that self-discipline pays off. And we get to watch those guys in a few weeks. That self-discipline, it is needed. No one just gets off the couch and goes and plays professional football and thinks they're going to do okay, right? You have to have the training. Now, today we see, and, and I, I fear that this is the attitude in, in many, many people, that restrictions are a bad thing. Don't limit, don't limit me in any way. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. What does that sound like to you? That sounds like a kid That sounds like childishness. That sounds immature because that's exactly what it is. And Solomon here is talking to to children. We understand the older we get, we understand we have to have some disciplines in our life. Now, we have to keep that in mind. We have to discipline ourselves, though. Let me ask you, what is your attitude toward discipline and structure? What is your attitude toward restraints? And authority and rules. Huh? I deal with a lot of different kind of people. And there's, there's some people that, man, are uh, afraid of the police. I'm, I'm just telling you, they're afraid. I mean, they know every cop car that passes. I don't even pay any attention, really. But boy, they just know. And they just, oh, yeah, I saw him early. Oh, you got to watch. It's like, well, I, I'm okay, I think. What's my attitude? Toward that restriction of having a police. If I'm just doing what I'm... If I'm living within the boundaries of the wall, I don't have to be afraid, right? I think you get the point. You get the point. Freedom and safety come from the structure of self-discipline. That's the perspective of Scripture. And that discipline is a good thing. Now, number three. We will never... Number three. We will never have godliness in this life without self-discipline. Let me say that again. We will never have godliness in this life without self-discipline. Now turn over with me to 1 Timothy. Now we've laid a foundation about discipline in the Old Testament. And and that brief little general proverb. Now let's go to the New Testament. In 1 Timothy chapter 4. And the passage that was read for us earlier We're just going to look at one verse, really one little phrase there. Verse 7. But have nothing to do with worldly fables. That is, don't be open to every silly idea that comes down the pike. You've got to close yourself. You've got to protect yourself from that foolishness. Do not have nothing to do with worldly fables. Fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself. On contrary to that, just being open to everything, bringing in every silly idea, entertaining everything, 
This is no close that thing off. Discipline yourself. On the other hand, he says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. The word discipline there means to train. It's the same word we would get our word that we get our word from for gymnasium. And it's to train, to exercise a strenuous self sacrificial training that an athlete would go through or that a soldier would go through. Every city in the Greek world, every major city, is going to have a gymnasium, including the uh, the city of of Ephesus that Timothy was living in here. And all of the young people from between 16 and 18 would have access to this gymnasium and they would stay for a couple of years and they would strengthen themselves and train themselves and discipline themselves for whatever purpose, to win an, uh, in some kind of athletic uh, event or maybe train themselves for the military or just train themselves for everyday life. It's a very physical world and it's a very hard life and they would train themselves. And so Timothy knew very well what Paul was saying here, to discipline yourself, to train up yourself. He says, for the purpose of, and the word purpose of is toward, meaning toward, just bending toward, walking toward something, toward godliness. Their whole life orientation was to be toward godliness. They were to discipline themselves. They were to have structure in their life toward godliness. They were set up life toward godliness. That was their goal of life. Day-to-day running of the life was to be toward godliness. Godliness. godliness is just simply being God-like, right? Like Christ, we would say. It's, it's just taking on the family resemblance. Families kind of look like each other. And you take on that certain character trait that God has. And a godly man, he leads a life that reflects God. We understand godliness. And we are to set and structure our life in such a way as to aim toward godliness and work toward godliness. And we're to do that with discipline, with training, with training. Now, the standard is pretty high, right? How do we get godliness? The standard is pretty high. God says, be holy as I am holy. That's perfection. Now, at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes in our life. He takes up residence in our life. And He bends us. He steers our life toward godliness. That's the direction of our life now. We're kind of bent. We have a, a new focus of life now. That's why, that's why we hunger and thirst for righteousness in Matthew chapter 5. That's why in Romans chapter 8, we groan. We ache for the time. Lord, when are you going to come back? When are you going to free us from this body of sin? When can we have righteousness? And then when the Holy Spirit turns our heart that direction, we begin to take steps in that direction. And that's where the discipline comes in. We take steps of faith and obedience and discipline in righteousness. We begin to exercise that. James talks about a a faith that works. If If it doesn't work, if it's not exercising, if that faith isn't doing anything, it's not real faith. 
But that faith has to work. It has to go towards something. It has to be disciplined. It has to be moving towards something. There has to be obedience or it's not really faith. Now, folks, that is sanctification and there is no other option. We are to discipline ourselves for godliness. There's no instantaneous sanctification. We have to discipline, we have to work at becoming holy as God is holy. There's just no other option. We discipline ourselves for the sake of godliness. And it's an act of faith. It's showing faith in God, in God by work, working, by doing something, by obedience, by showing love for Him, essentially. Christ said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, right? The Holy Spirit, He comes in, He orients us to love God, and we begin to love God. It just becomes a little bit more natural, a little bit different motivation. Now, let me give you two dangers real quick. Here's here's what we do. Here's what we do, just by way of application. This is the way we think in in our day. And I see these these two different ways of thinking here. Number one, I think we we think we have antinomian tendencies. That means that uh, there is no law. We're not under law. We're under grace, and we can do whatever we want to. That is false doctrine, but that seems to be the, the doctrine of the day. And I think it's a reaction, and I can understand this, it's a reaction from our legalistic days of 50 years ago, 30 years ago, and we react to that, and so we, we become on the other end of the scale of everything seems to be legalism. And so we kind of blow that out of proportion. And here's the way we think. We've been told then that this any self-effort is legalistic. And that is just not true. We are to discipline ourselves for godliness. That self-effort is, is not wrong. It's not legalism in and of itself, right? You say, well, what about Paul? I mean, Paul was warning about self-effort in the early church, wasn't he? Here's what Paul was warning about. There's a group of Judaizers that were coming into the church and they were confusing the church and saying, oh, you can have Christ, you can hang on to Christ and hang on to Judaism too. But listen, you can't do that, right? Either Christ is going to save you or Judaism is going to save you. You can't have a little of both. No, it's either works-based righteousness or it is salvation through Christ. That was his point. Now... We will never obtain holiness without discipline. We have to discipline ourselves. You say, well, what about this one? You say, well, we'll never obtain holiness in this life anyway, right? So why try? Well, Paul addresses that in Romans chapter 6. Basically, it's just unbiblical thinking. Christians don't think like that. He uses double negative there. No, no, by no means. There's another influence, I think, today, and that's quietism. And we don't hear that term very much anymore. It's kind of the deeper life mentality that used to, used to be. And it's kind of a mystical thing, maybe more in the charismatic churches. But the Christian life requires no effort at all from the believer. It's all up to the Holy Spirit. We just kind of just sit back and well, some of the phrases are let go and let God. Or... or um, I can't, but God can. And we just kind of yield. We just kind of relax. We just kind of surrender. It's all up to the Holy Spirit. We don't do anything, right? That's, that's, the, that's that false 
understanding. And it's all up to the whims of the Holy Spirit. And boy, you know, I can't wait till I get godly. I just wish the Holy Spirit would just do it. Well, that's foolish. That's not biblical thinking at all. We, we cannot remain entirely passive here. You don't see that in Scripture at all. Now, you do see, Paul says, that uh, it is not I but Christ who lives in me. So there is an empowerment of the Holy Spirit, Christ empowering us, and uh, that uh, God is at work in me, Philippians chapter 2. He is at work in us to will and to do of His good pleasure. Even the farmer has to plant the seed, right? We have to do something. God causes it to grow. It's nothing mystical about this. It's not something that we just lay back on our bed and and trust the Holy Spirit. Well, someday I'm going to be godly. That's just foolish thinking. The power comes in the doing, in the obedience. When we step out in faith and begin to work and begin to discipline ourselves toward godliness, the power of the Holy Spirit kicks in and He will help us. He will cause the increase. And by the way, that that whole mentality is every command in Scripture assumes that sanctification is not passive. It's a command in Scripture that you are to do. That you are to do. A true believer will discipline himself for obedience. Obedience. Now, if we are trusting, folks, our own works for salvation, we are doomed. We're doomed. We have no chance. There's a big difference between works gaining salvation. I'm working for my salvation. And works to to gain favor with God. And works from appreciation for God. Right? But that's what we see in Scripture. We're not working toward our salvation. I hope I'm good enough. I hope I can come to church enough. I hope I can read my Bible enough. I hope I can pray enough. No, we do all of those things out of appreciation for what God has already done for me. There's a big difference between the two. I'm not working for my salvation. I'm working as a a grace-induced discipline, if you will. It's because what God has done for me, I have now motivation, a hunger and desire and thirst for righteousness, and I move toward that way simply because I love the Lord, because what He has done for me. And it comes and it stems out of God's amazing grace, what He's done. Now, so we will never obtain holiness in this life apart from self-discipline. Think about that. Number four. Biblical self-discipline, biblical self-discipline develops godly thoughts and actions into habits. This is something you need to know. Biblical self-discipline develops godly thoughts, godly thinking, and godly actions into habits. Now, I love this. I'm so glad because God has given us the ability to, to have a habit, to have a habit. I have the habit of brushing my teeth. I have the habit. I used to have the habit of combing my hair, right? I don't have to have that habit anymore. We have habit. We have a habit of getting into the car now, and we can drive without even thinking. Why? Because it's second nature to us to, to drive the car. But boy, when we first got in the car, that steering wheel was that big. And we didn't know what in the world we were doing. It was, it was scary. We had to develop the habit. The word training here in 1 Timothy 4, 7, Paul says to discipline yourself, 
The word discipline there means training. It's just training. And training involves what? Doing something over and over and over and over and over again, right? You have to train yourself. You train yourself until it becomes second nature. Now, you can train yourself in the wrong thing. Let me show you one verse in Second Peter, just real quick. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 14. Peter is talking about some ungodly people here. And he mentions, he mentions their heart, Second uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 14. Having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, in, enticing unstable souls, having a heart, and here's the word, having a heart trained in greed. This is the wrong kind of training. They have been greedy over and over and over and over again that their hearts now are trained in greed. Can you imagine that? It's terrible. Listen, folks, you have habits. They are either good habits or bad habits. They're either godly habits or or ungodly habits. The the heart here is trained in in greediness. In 1 Timothy 3, verse 16, we are equipped for every good work so that the man... And and the Bible trains us in righteousness, uh, Paul says. Let me show you one other verse, though. And here's the key. In Hebrews chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 5, this is so important. Just follow me just for a little bit more. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 13. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. For he is an infant. Little baby Christians, all they can handle is milk. They're not trained in anything. There's not the maturity there. They're still at this baby level. They're just eating the, the milk of the words. Just, you know, just feed me a little bit here and a little bit there. But, he says in verse 14, but solid food, now that, give me a meal, solid food, that is the word of God with some depth to it. Solid food is for the mature. We don't stay little baby Christians. The author here is, is pushing them toward maturity. For the mature who, and what what does maturity look like? Who, because of practice, have their senses trained in discerning, to discern good and evil. Practice. Over and over and over and over again, they practice godliness. They practice, they trained in, that's the same word, trained to to discern good and evil. Just by doing it. By doing it. Disciplining themselves. There's a training there. And it becomes second nature. It becomes second nature to them. The practice of godliness leads to a life of godliness. If you're not practicing toward godliness, you're not going to have a godly life. The practice of godliness leads to godliness. Now, I said football season's coming. And here's what I miss. I miss seeing those guys. Going downfield, long lob pass, and the guy just jumps out, you know, full length. He's horizontal to the to the ground. He's going to hit hard, but he catches that ball and he slams to the ground, and it's a touchdown. And we go crazy, right? They make it look so easy. 
Now, if I just got off my chair and said, I can do that, I'd go out there and look like an idiot, right? They make it look easy because of discipline. Practice. Doing the same thing. Do we have to, coach? Yes, get out there. The same thing over and over and over and over again. They have to practice. They have to practice throwing. They have to practice catching. They have to practice running. They have to have speed. Everything has to come into focus at that one moment. But there's hours and hours and probably decades of practice leading to that point. Now, folks, we are to discipline, train ourselves for godliness, self-discipline. That's training to the point that it becomes second nature inside my reactions, inside and my external actions as well. Second nature. Second nature. So discipline develops godly thoughts and actions into habits. We have to practice though. We have to discipline ourselves for that. Let me ask you, what is your attitude toward discipline? I think in this day, we've got to change our attitude. We've become careless. I know I have. I know I have. Just studying this stuff out, I think, man, how long have I spent in time with the Word? How long am I spending in time in prayer? How much, how much am I practicing the things that I need to be practicing? Let me show you. Let me show you what we don't want. And this is... Back to Proverbs. I'm going to, this will be, I'll close with this. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 11. Here's, here's the, and you, now Solomon's giving a, a perspective here, and you groan at your final end. That's when you're old. You groan. You say, oh man, oh man. There's regrets. Okay, you groan at your final end. When your flesh and your body are consumed, there's no more left. You don't have the energy anymore. And you say, how I hated instruction. And my life spurned reproof. I have not listened to the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ears to my instructors. And I have come to ruin. Because that's what we don't want. We don't want to come to the end of our life and say, I wish I would, I wish I would have trained myself in godliness. I wish I would have had more practice in this so I can discern. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You, Lord, for Your, your patience with us. Lord, we should be stronger. We should be more mature. We should be more godly should be more like you but lord we we've listened to the world we've been tempted by the world we haven't trained ourselves in godliness lord may we do so not just just external oh yeah i'm going to church but no lord may we have godliness on the inside And only we can do that. And if we don't discipline ourselves, we are in danger. May we keep that in mind. We thank you for your patience and your kindness, your grace toward us, even while we're sinfully rebellious against you. Thank you for your grace. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.